0: What is the state of the Bible in the United States in the year 2022? What is the state of theology? What what people believe about God and Jesus and the Bible and other big theological topics. Um, How are Americans actually engaging the Bible or maybe better yet, how are Americans not engaging the Bible today? How has that changed over the years? We answer these questions and more In our discussion on the state of the Bible and the state of theology in 2022, two surveys that have been done very recently that have been published that have some very interesting information available to us. I'm Scott Ray, your host, here with my co-host, Sean McDowell. This is Think Biblically. So, Sean, tell us a little bit what these two
1: studies are actually about, the state of the Bible on the one hand, state of theology on the other. So, the American Bible Society did a pretty comprehensive study of what Americans believe about the Bible... Uh, how they're engaging the bible and how it affects the way they live and the way they don't live for 2022 and then ligonier ministries in partnership with lifeway did a study on the state of theology in 2022 so this is more what americans contrasting with self-proclaimed evangelicals believe about the person of jesus salvation uh the bible Etc. cetera. So you put them together, we have a pretty good sense of what Americans believe about the scriptures and how that shapes their theology and their life.
0: So let, let's start with the, the state of the Bible first. Um, why, what,
1: do, what do we learn from this about why Bible engagement matters? Well, if we take a step back and just ask why Bible engagement matters and look at Scripture, I think we find a few reasons why. And number one, uh, and this comes out in the study, is that those who study the Bible have better theology. <laughs> now, that shouldn't surprise us as a whole, but that matters because when we look in— I'm actually in,
0: glad to hear that.
1: Yeah, that is that is good to hear as a whole. But that matters because scripture has a lot of teachings about knowing theology, studying the scriptures, like the Bereans are held up as an example in Mm -hmm. Acts 17, studied the scriptures daily. So those who study it have better theology. So if we care about good theology, we should care about people studying the Bible. Second, when we look in scripture, Psalms 119.11 says, I've hidden your word in your heart that I might not sin against you. So scripture talks about knowing scripture so we can avoid sinning. And we even see Jesus, when he's tempted, quoting scripture against the lies that come from Satan. So knowing scripture in our hearts is meant to shape the way that we live. Third, I would argue, just studying the Bible helps us know God better. Now, God is not just intellectual. Even demons have good theology. But good theology is necessary to understand and learn truths about God, to know him better. But what also came out about this was a question that said, have you ever made a personal commitment to Jesus that is still important in your life today? 54% of adults said yes. Yet fewer than one third of Gen Xers, Millennials, and Gen Zers are now practicing Christians. So a lot of people who say they've had an experience with Jesus, Less than a third are now practicing, so there's a disconnect. And I would argue one reason, not the only one, often embedded with that is bad theology about God, about the scriptures, about the nature of salvation. So that's just a few reasons why Bible and good theology matter.
0: Let me pursue this just a little bit further, if I might, Um, because the study also connects human flourishing Mm. with engagement with the Bible. Can you unpack that a little bit? What does that contribute to our flourish? Obviously, knowing God helps us flourish, but I think there was
1: more to it than that in the study. Yeah, so the state of the Bible took what's called Harvard's Human Flourishing Index. And these are just ways that humans, of course, across Christian convictions, relationally, psychologically, materially flourish. And compared those who study the Bible with this index— And an interesting conclusion, they said, are there higher scores among those who read scripture regularly and let it deeply affect their lives? They said, yes, substantially higher. Now, the one area where those who are Bible engaged did not score higher was in material or financial (laughs) success. So if you think reading the Bible is going to give you prosperity, practically speaking, you might think, again, even our concerns with that theologically. There there
0: goes the prosperity gospel. There you go. And rightly so.
1: Rightly so. But what's interesting about this is we're often told that Christians are bigots and hateful and homophobic and dangerous to society. Well, this study seems to suggest that actually reading the Bible and taking it to heart makes somebody a better Neighbor. Now, we don't have to go into all the reasons why, but why would somebody flourish better? Well, the Bible says, don't be anxious about anything. Trust the Lord. It says, love your neighbor. It talks about life is not just about me, but it's about living for others and living for God. So it actually makes sense. And it's nice to see the data backing up that people flourish according to a secular metric those who engage the Bible now. Some people could say maybe it's those who flourish who most read the Bible, and it's it is hard to prove causation. But if the Bible gave the other negative effect, we'd expect to see that. So minimally, we see yeah. this strong correlation, which I think is pretty significant.
0: Yeah, I think there's there's anecdotal evidence for this too. I once heard someone say, uh, in sort of in response to the culture seeing the Bible as a threat. Mm. To people's well-being, that if you saw, if you were walking down a dark street late at night and you saw two people, two sort of unidentified Mm. figures coming toward you, would you be more or less comforted to see that they were carrying (laughs) Bibles under their arms? Exactly. I would be significantly comforted by that. Yeah. Um, And I think most people would. I
1: I think that's well um, said. And let me read a quote. This is on page 102 of the study, which page 102 shows us how extensive this study is. It's available online. It says, this year's report shows clearly that scripture-engaged people make better neighbors. They care for people in need. They take civic duty seriously. They realize they don't know everything, and they admit that in conversation. They serve others in a variety of ways that's pretty significant. So
0: the the actual the actual humility that comes out is a is an empirically recognizable trait. Mm. That's really encouraging because the conventional wisdom is that people who to take the bible seriously are rigid and unbending and think they know it all and often often are arrogant uh when it That's right. Seems like Maybe maybe the opposite is more predominantly the case.
1: That's what it shows. Now, if the assumption is that you believe in natural marriage, that makes you a bigot by definition. That's right. Then I plead guilty. There are certain truths we can't compromise. But caring for those in need, treating people charitably, being good, thoughtful neighbors—you see those characteristics arise substantially higher in those who have a high level of Bible engagement.
0: That's that's pretty encouraging stuff, I would say I agree so let's let's talk a little bit more about how Americans are actually engaging the
1: Bible because I'm sure that exists on a pretty broad spectrum. Yeah, there's not a lot that surprises me. I would assumed it was most on a smartphone. It was most digitally, but that's not necessarily the case. Now in terms of reading the Bible daily, ten percent of Americans say they read the Bible daily only ten percent. Most adults, though, use print, but we're seeing that shift with Gen Zers, which makes sense. Women are more engaged than men. African Americans are the most engaged ethnic community or group. Younger generations are less biblically engaged. But education and income made little difference in engagement. Interesting. Which kind of surprised me. You'd think yeah, the more educated somebody would be, the less they would engage the Bible according to a certain narrative, but that's not actually the case.
0: That's very interesting because you would think that the more edu- the assumption is the more educated you get, the more secular you become, and that's the, the, the less less impactful your religious views in general are, not to mention the Bible in particular, mm. but not, not so fast. Exactly. Um, exactly. So, so that, that's, a, that's the how, and I, I think that shift is helpful to recognize. But why, why is that
1: shift important in how people are engaging the Bible? Well, that, why it's important, number one, you just want to know as believers. But we also see, again, back to the Harvard study, that those who study the scriptures are much more positively good neighbors and just living differently. We're seeing that. So we should be aware of this. But what concerns me again, what's fascinating, is we see a 10% drop in Americans who are in that high Bible engaged category, which equals out to about 26 million Americans. Now, that is a huge drop. That was from 2021 to 2022. Now, anytime I see that radical of a statistic, I've got to look again and say, how are they quantifying this? What exactly is going on? I don't want to be an alarmist. So you cut that in half, cut down to 10%. The bottom line is we see a shift as a whole in America to less Bible engagement. So that in the reverse says, will that affect the kind of neighbors? that we are, will that affect mental health? They even show, they talk about trauma in this study. And those who have undergone trauma, studying the scriptures has a positive effect on how they process trauma. So if we just care about the health of our society, we should care about Bible engagement.
0: Now, I suspect that most people, when they come to the scriptures, don't think about these reasons <laughs> right. for, why they, right. for, for why they engage the Bible. I suspect what you mentioned earlier, it has a lot to do with becoming closer to God, knowing him better. Mm. Uh, but I think there, I suspect there are other reasons besides that for why people engage the Bible. So what, what does the study tell us about the reasons for why people are engaging the
1: Scripture? Yeah, so there are two reasons that are highlighted. 41% say it brings me closer to God. The second most common one was comfort. Now, if somebody goes to the scripture because of comfort, fine. The Psalms are written in part, I think, to comfort people who are hurting. We believe in a relationship with God. Jesus said in John 17, This is eternal life, that you may know the one true God, which again is not just good theology, it's a relational knowing. But both of these are about it brings me closer to God, it brings me comfort. Which we're back to what Christian Smith said, that most Americans approach religion in terms of moralistic, therapeutic deism, that God is distant. Yeah, you're going to
0: spell that it's, out, right? Yeah,
1: but it, the idea yeah. of deism is that God is distant, and then therapy is that God is about making me better and just living moralism a certain way. So the top two reasons are not because God commands me to. It's not so I can know God better. It's not so I can teach good theology or so I can be holy, which are more God-centered reasons. You might say theocentric. We're approaching the scriptures as a society as a whole and even as evangelicals through the lens of kind of an anthropocentric view. So part of me says whatever it takes to get somebody in the Bible is good. But that approach concerns me a little bit in how we're even opening up the scriptures, and says even those who are reading it, maybe we're missing some of the bigger reasons that should be at play.
0: So it's okay for it to be partially about B, but not entirely. What? I mean, so, I mean, I'm I'm I'm, yeah. I'm with you. I'm glad that anybody's engaging the Bible exactly. for whatever reason, <laughs> but you know, strictly for my own benefit, um, as opposed to being more God centered. Uh, I, think that's, that's a, I think that's a helpful corrective, uh, because, mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, I, I do not want to be preaching a gospel of moralistic, therapeutic deism.
1: It, exactly. Uh, and by the way, what's the greatest commandment? Love God and love others. So I should approach the scriptures primarily to learn what it means to love God and love others. If that gives me comfort, great. If that draws me closer to God, great. But that shift is not insignificant.
0: Yeah it seems to me that that's a really important point because you know once my faith becomes all about me we've I'd say we've we've lost not only mm. something really important maybe we've lost the heart of it mm. because this is not this you know the whole spiritual journey is not ultimately about me it's mm. about it's about god what he wants for me what he's commanding exactly so that i can represent him in the world in accurate ways. Mm. So if I guess what what does the study show about you know the the people who have become disengaged mm-hmm. from the Bible. That 26 million who are out of that category into a, d- a different one mm-hmm. which I think suggests that they're still movable. You know, they it's possible for them to move back into the Bible engaged That's fair. category. But what are the reasons why they have become disengaged? I would think if I were a pastor or a church leader, I'd be pretty interested
1: in that. Agreed. The, The study is interesting, but also somewhat obvious. Like, this should be clear. The number one is I don't have enough time, right? That's the top reason. Now, part of me, a former athlete, when I gave an excuse, my coach would say, suck it up get there on defense, figure it out. If it's important to you, you'll find a way to get the play done. We make time for what's important. We make time. So when I hear people say, for the most part, they don't have enough time, my deeper concern is why not? And there is a way to make time if it's important for us. I guarantee everybody who said that makes time for other things that are more important to them. So in some ways, we've got to do deeper, more basic work of showing why the scriptures are important to life, to both Christians and non-Christians. But it also shows that we are busy, et cetera. But the second reason was that people said, I don't know where to start. Now, that makes sense. The Bible is a complex book. You start in Genesis. By the time you get to Leviticus, you don't know what on earth is going on if you make it that far. Mm -hmm. But here's the irony. When people say they don't have time and they don't know where to start, we've never had more tools available to study the Bible. So, for example, we could, again we can do a whole podcast on this. There's great podcasts that people listen to and follow. I'll give a shout-out to one called the Listener's Commentary. It's a daily Bible commentary. Wonderful teaching by a friend of mine, uh, John, who hosts it. I listen to that if I work out. I listen to that when I'm driving almost daily. I like to use Logos Bible software, and in that, there are certain apps and technologies to listen to the Bible, to study the Bible. So we've got to find time-saving, effective ways and practical, easier ways to get people into the Scripture if these two stated objections are really the objections at play,
0: yeah, I think uh, the idea that it's hard to make time for it is a, that's a harder one to sustain today because we have so many different ways to do exactly. this. exactly and, and you know there's nothing wrong with listening to the Bible while you're exercising mm. or while you're driving. you know we can mu- we can multitask uh, and that's okay. Uh, it's the other one that I think if I were a pastor, or a church leader that would really get my attention is people not knowing where mm. to start. Mm. And I think there's where I think we have, a, we have an opportunity in the local church to give people enough of a grasp of the big picture of the scripture so that you know wherever they land, they know within the big picture where they are. They've got, they've got a little mm. bit of their bearings within that. One of the things we try to do with our with our students here at the undergrad level is to give them enough background and enough there you go. enough of what's in each book of the Bible so that wherever they land, they can situate themselves and read it then profitably. Hmm. But that's a that's a big ask for somebody who's not been to a place like Biola. Sure. Or you know, or or whose churches don't don't teach sort of regularly through the biblical text. Mm. So what, what advice would you have for pastors and church leaders about how, how, be, how to better orient people to, you know, to, to, hey, to get a good start wherever they are
1: Yeah, in the Bible? I would say we've gotta give people not 50 tools, but two or three tools. So give people good Bible podcasts, introduce them to good YouTube channels, Helpful people to follow on social media. Like find the tools that are out there that are reliable, easy to use, make them available to people. That's step number one. The other thing is if I was teaching a series in the Bible, like I'm going through Mark, I would have a Bible reading plan for people. So for example, let me take a step back and use something like Ephesians, right? Six chapters. As somebody studying through that, I would tell my congregation, find 15 minutes a day. Read the whole book of Ephesians or listen to it. As we go through this book, which might take, I don't know, three, four, five months, depending on how in-depth you go, and then that repetition is how they learn, that matches up with what you're teaching. So practical tools and just the lowest cooking on the lowest shelf where people can practically do it, I just find we don't do that well, and I'm not sure why.
0: Yeah, I think that that's really helpful. I remember for for years, you know, walk through the Bible, mm-hmm. did their seminar. That's another great tool. It's a great tool that, that is still out there because uh, you can get you can get your bearings in the big story of the Bible,
1: hundred you know, in, in,
0: in one day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that yeah, and I, my advice to pastors would be, you know, whenever you're whenever you land in a passage of scripture orient your congregation to where where you are in the book context and and yeah it's just the the broader context of the book as a whole good uh, all right uh, now wh- what are the what are some of the main things that come out of this study and then i want to turn to the state of theology Okay, but some of the main things that come out of the study on the state of the Bible that you're particularly encouraged about.
1: Yeah, I love this question because I'm always thinking that while I'm reading it because it's easy to feel the sky is falling and be negative, and we evangelicals are like the world is against us sometimes. We just do. Here's two things that jumped out. 64% of those who fall in the category of Bible disengaged are curious about the Bible and Jesus. Two-thirds say they have a level of curiosity— she mentioned earlier about those 26 million who moved out of it. They're not saying we reject this, we hate this, it's false, we're angry, we're closed-minded. They're not saying any of those things. Two thirds of people are open. So I think in my conversation, in my social media posts, whatever it is, how do I get content out there that kind of scratches where somebody's being, you know, itching, so to speak, and engage that curiosity. So that's positive. Our culture as a whole is not closed-minded to the Bible and to Jesus. Second thing, which was cool, is Gen Zers, probably roughly 10 to 25 years old right now, are more positive about the influence of the Bible than millennials, probably 25 to lower 40s. So while we're seeing Bible engagement drop, that doesn't mean those who are less engaged have a negative view of the Bible we actually see an increased positive view. So those are two good signs I think we can hang our hat on.
0: <laughs> that, yeah, those are both pretty encouraging stuff, to know that, that the people who are disengaged with the Bible are not necessarily disengaged mm-hmm. with questions and matters of Christian faith in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's, I think, very encouraging. All right, to the state of theology. Yep. This, I think, might be a little different story. Yes. <laughs> uh, so give us, what's the what's the... The one or two main
1: takeaways from the study on the state of theology. Okay, so they're asking questions to Americans, evangelicals, or at least those who describe themselves as evangelicals in the sense of holding biblical authority, believing in evangelism, believing Jesus is the unique means of salvation— And that we should be concerned with the conversion of others. That's how they define an evangelical. Contrast their stated theological beliefs with non-evangelicals, whether they're non-evangelical Christians or just other Americans. And this is where some of the takeaways are positive again. Some are just flat out concerning. And I don't want to be an alarmist. I really don't. But some of these jump out at me, and I don't know what to do with this. So, for example, we'll start with Jesus and God. The idea that Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. Forty-three percent of the non-evangelical community agree with that. Fine. Thirty percent of evangelicals agreed with that. I'm thinking, wait a minute. Yikes! Now that, by the way, let, actually let me restate this. I actually got that. I got that wrong. It was thirty percent of evangelicals in 2020. Forty-three percent of evangelicals. In 2022. So, a 13% increase in two years, according to their study. So, there's a few questions. Why did it increase so much? You know, and is there some room for statistical error? That's always important to ask. But whether it's 30% or 43% or half that, these are self proclaimed evangelicals who don't recognize that Jesus is God. Are those people in our churches? Uh, like that sign of something so central to the faith—confusion about the identity of Jesus—that's a pretty big red flag to me.
0: i say, yeah, they're they're not not quite clear on the concept that Jesus didn't actually leave us that option.
1: <laughs> he didn't in
0: the scripture <laughs> about himself like that. All right. Well, what about their concept of God?
1: Okay. Where, so, where,
0: what is it? What do we know
1: about that? Here's what's interesting came out of the study. They, uh, that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. In 2016, 48% of evangelicals agreed with that. That's basically half in 2016, six years ago. That's concerning alone. In 2022, 56% of evangelicals agreed that God accepts the worship of all religions, 56%. I mean, there's at least a hundred verses in the New Testament that talk about Jesus being the only way to God. And we see things like in Acts 10 where Cornelius, a God fear, must believe in Jesus. So that's a pretty concerning. And what that does to me is that makes me wonder how many self-proclaimed evangelicals really understand why Jesus died on the cross for sin. And is, in fact, the only way that's concerning to me
0: is there is there material in the survey about views of the atonement and views of salvation?
1: Uh, there's on some this? there's some on salvation. So uh, again, the key point on salvation that's raised is just that God accepts the worship of all religions. I'm not sure they nuance different views of the atonement on the way you and I might theologically be concerned. But the key takeaway was just that God accepts the worship of all religions, which is concerning. Now, I guess when when you get to the atonement, one thing that intersects with that is the view of humanity because why did Jesus have to die for sin? And what this shows is the claim that everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. In the US, uh, 71% agree, 65% of evangelicals agree. That were born innocent in the eyes of God. Now, one of the problems of that question is what exactly does that mean? Does that mean they're denying original sin and born without a sinful nature? Studies like this aren't totally clear on that, but I'm definitely suspicious that the number of self-proclaimed evangelicals understand what original sin means and how that shapes the way we approach Jesus and the atonement.
0: I could see the the, the idea that they are innocent could actually just refer to culpability. It could be. It could. And, that, know, that's, and judgment. So that that one, I think, is a little yes. harder to, to tease that out. I agree. Uh, what about, I mean, we've talked about the state of the Bible already, but the state of theology has, has something to say about the views on the Bible, too. Mm-hmm. What did they, What did they say?
1: Yeah, good question. It says, so the claim, the Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. Okay? So the Bible has stories and myths but it's not literally true. US adults agreed with that in 2016 44%. 53% in 2022. So just US adults as a whole drop about 10% over that 6 years. Evangelicals 17% agreed it's not literally true in in 2016. Now, in 2022, it's 26%. Now, that's a significant increase. My only qualifier of that is when it says the Bible is literally true. Like, does that mean the Psalms are literally I mean, does, true? Does it make
0: space for figurative language it, in yeah, poetry? Like and, when
1: somebody says the Bible is literally true, in my mind, I'm going to kind of qualify that and say, I think what they mean is that there are objective truths within this even though I don't think the Bible is literally true on every account when it's metaphorical, when there's parables and there's mm-hmm. riddles that are told. So studies like this don't often bring out that nuance, and sometimes evangelicals can jump on this and say the sky yeah. is falling, but I just think we need to be careful.
0: I wonder if that had to do more with the, the narratives and the, the especially the miracle accounts mm. uh, that – that that's what the question actually was intended to tease out, is do you do you believe that the things that the Bible pre- presents as narrative history are literally narrative history, mm. as opposed to myth or legend or, or some, some, some other
1: kind of story that's d- divorced from history? These are just important nuances when we see studies and statistics that are cited. How, how clear are they? What does the person who's responding mean by it? That's where we just try to have to have some wisdom and some care. But nonetheless, that increase over six years, 10%, does signify something about how evangelicals are viewing the Bible.
0: All right. Just a couple more questions on on this. I want to combine both of these surveys together here for, for a moment. Um, if you could speak to just the, the average Christian out there who's listening to this podcast, who may be a... You know, semi-regular church attender, you know, reads the Bible sporadically, uh, probably has a, a modicum grasp of theology. What would, you, what would you say to them based on the results of this study?
1: Well, I think I'd take that Christian side and I'd ask him a few questions. Uh, you have a certain view of the church. You have a certain view of the Word of God. You have a certain view of the person of Jesus and salvation, where are these ideas coming from? Because studies like this increasingly show that we're less Bible engaged as a whole. Our theology is suffering as a whole because of it. So what happens is something has to fill that vacuum.
0: So they're getting those views from somewhere. We
1: all have theological ideas. Like another one that came out is every Christian has an obligation to join a local church. Two thirds of evangelicals agree with that. That means there are a third of evangelicals who somehow have the theology, which is not biblical, that they don't need to go to a church.
0: My question might be: Where, where are the other two thirds?
1: Well, that, <laughs> who, who that, believe, who believe that? Which
0: may be a... and
1: and these studies bring out oftentimes a disconnection between what somebody says right. and how they often live. That's very fair. So I'd probably just ask this person: I'd say, where are you honestly getting your theology? from is it from the scriptures is it from the person of jesus or is it from something larger that's going on in the culture why and why not so i wouldn't jump on that person with judgment i don't have any interest in that but i'd like to i'd probably bring up some of these stats and maybe just ask them hey what do you think about the identity of jesus what do you think about the scriptures what do you think about there's a few things in here on sexuality as well and salvation these kinds of questions are just great ways to engage somebody, especially if they say they're a Christian, but maybe are not theologically and ecclesiologically engaged.
0: You piqued my interest here before I get to my second question here. Okay. What, what did the state of theology say about sexuality?
1: Uh, so it said a few things, and I'll, I'll read a few here. Number one, they said, uh, gender identity is a matter of choice. The U.S., in 2016. In 2022, it jumped to 42%. So in six years, 4% increase is actually not what I would have expected. Evangelicals in 2016, 32%. Evangelicals in 2022, 37%. So that means a third of evangelicals would say gender identity is a matter of choice. Now again, even the way that's framed, we've gotta be careful and nuance this. Even behind it, I suspect people are answering this for different reasons without the clarity you and I would like. But it shows that. Uh, This one was interesting. The Bible's condemnation of homosexual behavior doesn't apply today. The US, 46%. Evangelicals in 2022, 28%. So over a quarter would just say, Seemingly agree that the Bible condemns same-sex sexual behavior, but it doesn't apply today a quarter. That's interesting. Now, on the positive side, sex outside of traditional marriage is a sin. In 2022, 94% of evangelicals, according to this study, agreed with it. 94%. So it raised three percentage points from 2016, and abortion is sin. In 2016, it was 87%. In 2022, 91% of evangelicals. So when we look at studies like this, we interpret it through a certain lens. At least I, maybe it's just me, I, I gravitate towards the negative concerning ones. I've got to step back and say there's some positive trends. There's not as much nuance and necessarily clarity on some questions. But we've got to be aware there's less Bible engagement and there is some concerning theology for sure that's unmistakable.
0: All right. Question number two to, to finish off with. If you could, what would you say if you could speak directly to pastors and church leaders about the state, the state of the Bible and the state of theology, what advice would
1: you give them based on these two studies? I would say a couple things. I'd say, number one, to me, this is reason to double our efforts partly because the church from the beginning has always focused on and taught and emphasized good theology and avoiding errant doctrines. So today, with social media and endless means of communication, we have as great of a task as ever to teach good theology. But the other thing we got to do is we also have to give people not only practical tools to study the Bible— but tools to show how this theology translates to their life. So when I teach on things like creation and I talk with students, I'll say, why does the doctrine of creation matter? Well, it affects something like bullying and they'll look at me like, what are you talking about? I'll say, well, why shouldn't we bully? Well, because that person is made in the image of God and we don't use people, we love people. I talk about theology of resurrection and I'll say, how does this affect our lives? This affects the way we face grief, Paul says in 1st Thessalonians. We don't grieve like those without hope. We grieve like those with hope. I think sometimes we've thought we've taught theology intellectually, but not connected it to how somebody lives. That's where life change takes place, and I think there's a certain joy that comes from that as well. So, teach good theology but connect it to real life so people know how to better love their neighbors. And by the way, when we look at certain Christian teachings, often it's just good theology or it's just here's how you have a good marriage, Christian living. Scripturally, Paul does both. In Romans and in his other letters, here's good theology, but this is what it means to love your neighbor. This is what it means to serve in church. This is what it means to care for your finances and your body, et cetera. That's what we need to do today with this generation.
0: So if our listeners and viewers wanted to find the
1: the study itself, where where would they go to get it? We'll put it in the notes below. But if you just search State of Theology 2022 or State of the Bible 2022, it'll pop up. You can download it, read it for yourself. And I would invite you to and give us, you know, send us some of your thoughts on this. If you see things differently, awesome.
0: Well, I hope, I hope this has been helpful for you, Sean. Thanks for the way you have dived into this study uh, and have made it come alive for us today. This has been so helpful. Mm. And for our listeners, uh, this is our, this is our video, video version of our Think Biblically podcast. We would encourage you to subscribe to the audio version uh, in, whatever, in whatever way you get your podcast brought to you by Talbot School of Theology here at Biola University. So glad you joined us today for this conversation on the state of the Bible and the state of theology.